Well, many of you are familiar with my story. I've had the chance to share um, several times the last couple of years. I was born legally blind. I've lost my vision slowly over time, and I'm completely blind today, as Pastor Terry mentioned. In 2010, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, treated, and declared cured. It was great. But in 2015, it came back, stage four this time, having spread into my bones. And the experts say that people like me should not make long-term plans. But by God's grace and because of many of your prayers, I've been participating in experimental treatment. And well, it's obviously working because I'm still here. I'm still here, yeah. Praise God. <laughs> but when I first received my prognosis two summers ago, I was a wreck, a wreck. I was just a mess. I was so fearful about what the future would hold for me. And fear, as we all know it, is just debilitating. And I've learned that the best way to fight fear is with the truth in God's word. So I spent a lot of time in the word that summer, particularly in the book of Psalms. I think I read it, I don't know, three or four times through. And it's like the author knew exactly how I was feeling. And they brought me comfort and a deeper understanding of who God is. They were really a lifeline for me. So I'm super excited to have been invited to share in this series because it's personal for me. It's personal. Psalm 145, in particular, really speaks to me. It focuses on two of God's many attributes. I'll just kind of give you the headline up front. His greatness and his goodness, which reminds me of a mealtime prayer from my childhood. Maybe you remember this one too. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for this food. You guys remember that one? Now, if I'm honest, I really wasn't a huge fan of this prayer because I'm a little type A, and I'm sorry, but the words good and food, they don't rhyme, right? They just don't rhyme. <laughs> but I must have recited that little prayer thousands of times, but I never really pondered the meaning of the words until years later. God is great, God is good. Two such simple statements. But when you truly consider them, especially together, the implications are profound. Let me give you an illustration. When I was in first or second grade, I used to walk home with a classmate named Bobby. We always dreaded this one leg of the trip home. There was this big, scary dog. I think it might have been a German Shepherd. Um, and it would bark at us from behind his fence. It would make us nervous every time we passed by. Now let me pause here and remind you that I'm legally blind, right? Which means I could see only one-tenth as far as Bobby could see which turned out to be pretty operative because one day as we neared that dreaded house, Bobby out of the blue yells, make a run for it, and he just takes off down the street, just leaving me there. Now what he realized immediately, but what took me a few seconds longer to realize was that the dog was loose, okay? Terror struck my heart as it came into my field of vision, those ferocious jaws and that horrific barking, I'll never forget it, and it began to chase me all around the street. And I could hear Bobby's voice kind of faint, yelling things like, over here, run this way, but I couldn't figure out where he was, and I was just trying to run for my life at this point, right? And just when I thought that the dog was gonna catch up with me and eat me alive, a car pulls up and the passenger door opens. Quick, get in, a woman's voice called. It was my neighbor, Mrs. Jones. I think I audibly heard a chorus of angels at that moment, right? <laughs> Whoa, right, with a light coming down. Oh my gosh, I scrambled into that car and slammed the door and I was safe. 
I was safe. And we picked up Bobby, who had been hiding behind a car way farther down the street. <laughs> and she took us home. Let's just say that I developed a fear of large dogs after that. It took me quite a while, especially the ones that bark a lot at you. But how does this relate to Psalm 145? You see, in this situation, the dog represents greatness. It was powerful, but it was not good, because I'm pretty sure it wanted to eat me. And Bobby, on the other hand, he was good. He was my friend, and he didn't want me to get hurt, but he was powerless to help me way down the street, right? But Mrs. Jones, now she was both great and good. She was kind-hearted and wanted to rescue me, and she could rescue me because she had the power. She had that wonderful getaway car, right? <laughs> that little prayer I chanted all those years encapsulates who God is at his very core, great and good. Not just great and powerful, but also good and loving. You see, if God were great but not good, he would not be trustworthy. And if you were good but not great, he would not be trustworthy. But because he is both great and good, he is worthy of our trust and praise. Let's put that idea up. If there's one thing I want you to take away from this message, this is it. You can fall asleep after this if you want. <laughs> because God is both great and good, he is worthy of our trust and praise. And it is in this intersection of his greatness and goodness, his power and love, where we can find peace, comfort, and joy, no matter what we're going through. Now, I think David, who wrote Psalm 145, understood this at a very deep level. I'm not going to talk much about David today, but I do want to give you a little bit of context. This is a man who experienced extreme highs and lows in his life. He slayed the giant Goliath. We've all heard the stories. And it was, he was the celebrated king of Israel. But he also had very dark seasons. He had to run for his life from people who were supposed to love him, like his own son. And he even suffered enemy capture. And we don't know if he was experiencing a high or a low when he wrote this psalm. But listen to how jubilant he sounds, so certain and so confident about God's character. I'm going to read the first half, if you want to follow along in, in your handout. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. Let's camp out here for a while. David is praising God's greatness and how from generation to generation, his people have praised God as well. But I wonder if David would say the same of us today, here. We live in such a secular society where the focus is on man. We've got all these technological innovations, all the pervasive social media, and a lot of it is good. It's good. But in the throes of our very busy 21st century lives, we can easily forget who God is, let alone how great he is. This summer, I had the opportunity to visit Scotland for the first time, and we toured, I don't know, six or seven castles there, and every single one was located on some breathtakingly beautiful site, like on the banks of Loch Ness or perched on a stunning mountain in the highlands. But what really struck me was that many of these castles, they're just now ruins, you know, just a pile of bricks. 
but the lakes and the mountains are still there. These powerful royal families, these mighty kings who built armies and castles, they've come and gone. But the landscape that God created still remains. And I thought, how fleeting a human life is compared to the vastness of God. Look at this verse in James. We'll put it up. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. It reminds me of winter. Not, not San Francisco winter, but real winter. Okay, I grew up in the Midwest. And if it's below freezing, you can see your breath, right? In the air, just for a second, and then it just disappears. Poof, it's gone. But in contrast, God is eternal and infinite. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. In verse 3, David declares, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. We can't even fathom it. Someone once told me, you can't over-exaggerate how amazing God is. You can't over-exaggerate it. I think that's just so cool. I want to take a few minutes to touch on some aspects of God's greatness. First of all, he is all-knowing or omniscient. Only God knows what will happen tomorrow. Okay, think about that for a minute. He knows what will happen to not just you and me, but to every single person on this earth. And in fact, he knows every little thing about every soul that ever lived and will live, our thoughts, our desires, our hopes and dreams, our sorrows. He, he says he knew us in our mother's womb and the number of hairs on each of our heads. It's amazing. Number two, he is all-powerful or omnipotent. We see his power, of course, in the creation of heaven and earth. Remember that solar eclipse last month that everybody, everybody went nuts over? As man, we can only observe these types of events, right? Maybe we could discover them and have them named after us, but God is the one who set the stars and the planets in motion. And look what Jesus said in the book of Matthew. We'll put it up. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible, all things. There is no limit to God's power. Number three, he is all-present or omnipresent. God is not confined by space and time like we are. Therefore, he is uncontainable. He's everywhere at all times. And I tell my boys, you can run from me, especially since I can't see you, <laughs> but you can't run from God. And we don't want to because his presence is the one thing that he promises to always be with us no matter what we're going through. What kind of a God is with all of us all the time and knows each of us personally all the time? It's a mind-blowing notion, which is why I had to include number four. He is frankly incomprehensible. As I was preparing this message, I came across a fun fact. I love fun facts. From time to time throughout the Bible, God and Jesus are described with the word wonderful. Wonderful, which is a nice enough word, right? It's kind of overused in the English language. Everything is wonderful, right? Piece of toast, right? Your husband, right? But in the original Hebrew, the word wonderful actually means incomprehensible. Incomprehensible. God invites us to know him, and we can know him in an intimate way, but there is a limit to our human knowledge of him. And I'll tell you right now, if your goal is to understand God completely, you will be disappointed because we can't understand him fully, but we can experience him fully. We can experience him fully. But it's so easy to lose sight of our great and able God. 
You know, we get caught up in our own agendas, we get so busy, we have this need to control everything. So we put God in a box and we draw the boundaries for what he can't and can do. And maybe you're just checking him out this morning for the first time and we're really glad you're here. But maybe you've been walking with him for years and he's become just a part of your weekly routine and maybe not even that. You know, Jesus performed miracles all throughout his ministry, like healing the sick and the blind and feeding thousands of people with one basket of food, but not in his own hometown. He didn't do any miracles there. Why? Because they could only see him as the carpenter's son that used to live down the street. They just didn't see him as the true son of God. And man, they were missing out. You see, I would suggest that we can't limit God, but we can limit how we experience him. We'll put that up. We can't limit God, but we can limit how we experience God. Do we regard him as the all-powerful, holy God he really is? Do we seek his purpose and wisdom in our daily lives, or do we consider him irrelevant? Or maybe what he asks us to do is too inconvenient. Or maybe it's more subtle than that. We're open to his input, but we get to make the final call because we want to be in control. But maybe we are missing out. Maybe some of us need a fresh revelation of God's greatness and power today. Maybe we've got something we're holding on to a little too tightly and it hasn't occurred to us that God is able to show us a way. I recently heard the story of a woman named Immaculate Elibajeza. She is the New York Times best-selling author of a book called Left to Tell, Discovering God Amidst the Rwandan Holocaust. She was separated from her family when the genocide broke out, and she hid in a tiny bathroom with seven other women for three months. And the day that the house was searched, she prayed with all her might for God to save her, and the house was thoroughly searched. But when the soldiers came to the bathroom door where they were hiding, they simply turned and left. That was a day that Immaculate experienced God's greatness in a powerful way. Again, all things are possible with our God, all things. Now, I'm not saying that if we come to God, we'll get everything we want, because we won't. I can certainly speak from personal experience about that. I've learned that it's not about getting what we want, but it's about who he is. It's about humbling ourselves before an all-knowing, all-powerful God who wants a relationship with us, who knows what's best for us, a God who, if we let him, is able to change our hearts and transform us through his son, through his son, Jesus, which brings me to God's goodness. All right, I'm going to pick back up in verse 7 of our psalm, where we read 7 through 9. David has been talking about how his people have been praising God. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Now look how David further delineates God's goodness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All right, let's pause here for a little while. At God's very core is goodness. God is inherently and absolutely good. And God shares what David calls his abundant goodness with us. James 1.17 says, we'll put this up, every good and perfect gift is from above, from God, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. In other words, all good things come from God, whose goodness is unchanging. That's the truth. You know, I know this world isn't perfect, but look around, there are so many good things. 
right, that God gives us. I want everyone to just, just take a couple of seconds, tell your neighbor something that's good in your life. Go ahead. Go ahead. Did anybody say coffee? Coffee? <laughs> coffee is a very good thing. <laughs> so there's a name. There's a name for all these good things. They're called blessings. These good things are called blessings. And blessings are one way that we see God's goodness in action. He blesses us. In addition to daily provisions and the loved ones in our lives, these blessings come in all shapes and sizes. It could be the kind act of a stranger, a promotion at work that you weren't expecting. Of course, in San Francisco, the best blessing is a parking spot, right? <laughs> right? But here's the danger. We need to be careful because we can start to correlate God's goodness only with the blessings only with the stuff that feels good to us. You know, we say things like, I got a parking spot today, God is so good, right? But we don't say, I couldn't find a parking spot, God is so good, right? But God is good whether or not you found a parking spot today, right? My husband and I, we uh, lived in New Jersey during the 9-11 attacks. We're on the eve of uh, just remembering 9-11. You could see the towers burning from our house. We lived 20 miles west of Lower Manhattan. It was a horrific scene. Several of our friends who worked at the World Trade Center were miraculously spared. Their train was late, or they happened to have a doctor's appointment that day. And I remember thinking, God is so good for saving my friends. But thousands of people did perish, didn't they? And I'm sure their loved ones uttered the completely opposite sentiment. So how does this work? Is God like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, good to some and bad to others? But David just told us that God is good to all, to all. And the verse we read in James and countless others in Scripture maintain that God is good all the time, all the time. Can you see that when we define good from a human perspective, we can easily slip into this expectation that a good God should only allow good things. God's goodness cannot and should not be defined by our circumstances. Which brings me to my next idea. God shows his goodness by growing us. He grows us. One of my favorite sayings, have you heard this one? You can't stay young forever, but you can always be immature. <laughs> you heard that? I recently had a birthday. I'm now a San Francisco 49er. <laughs> I'm not going to be playing football anytime soon, though, I don't think. <laughs> 49 years old, all right? And I still love being immature. Ask my husband. <laughs> but God doesn't want us to be immature. Like a good parent, he wants us to grow up and to grow in the likeness of his son. And sometimes he gives us tough love by allowing difficult circumstances. So we learn about things like patience and perseverance and how to love the unlovable. In other words, quote unquote, good things can be disguised as adversity and hardship. Every year my family, we all get flu shots. And every year my youngest knows it's coming. And every year he tries to be so very brave, right? He's like, give himself a pep talk and all that. And every year, right before the nurse sticks the needle in his arm, he freaks out. And I always have to hold him down so the nurse can finish the job. And he's getting kind of big for that. <laughs> but you know what? Nobody loves getting a flu shot. They don't feel good. But we know that they're good for us. 
right? And I know some of you are going through stuff way more painful than a flu shot, so I'm not trying to minimize it by using this example. I think we can all agree that adversity and hardship don't feel good, but my point is sometimes they are good for us. They are good for us because we can emerge on the other side more mature, wiser, closer to God. We can offer compassion to those with similar experiences. And even when we make poor choices and suffer the consequences, God can use them for good. He doesn't promise just good things. He doesn't. But he does promise that all things work out for our good. Let's look at Romans 8, 28. We'll put this up. And we know that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. This is a good one to memorize. This is a good one to cling to when you're going through something that doesn't make sense. And it might even take years before you can appreciate that it had a purpose, before you can call it good. Now, I can definitely attest to this. You know, I used to think that my blindness was the one hardship I'd have to endure in my life, and I was kind of hoping that it would make me, I don't know, exempt from anything more. But then the cancer came, twice. And cancer, the second time around, it has really tested my faith. It really has. But I can honestly say that it's been good for me. It's been good for me, because who knew that dying really helps you figure out how to live? I don't take anything for granted anymore. And I feel like I've got this clarity about life because God has been teaching me that Jesus is enough, that he's more than enough. And you guys have heard me say this before. It's going to be okay, but if it's not okay, it's still okay because Jesus is enough. It's gonna be okay because we have a great and good God. But if it doesn't turn out the way I want it to turn out, it's still okay because Jesus is enough. Which leads me to the last way we see God's goodness in action. He saves us through his son. Michael and I, we celebrated our 25th anniversary this year. We made it. Yes, thank you. <laughs> when the cancer came back in 2015, I approached him with the idea of renewing our vows on our 25th. You mean like another wedding, he said? <laughs> yeah, why not? He said, sure if you really want to, but you know, I already married you. <laughs> and I kind of meant the vows the first time. And I thought a lot about what he said. You know, another ceremony with a big party, it would have been really fun, it would have been awesome. And we couldn't do it because it was too difficult to schedule with all of our family's busy lives and everything. But if we had done it, it would have just been gravy. Just gravy, because another ceremony or any other grand sweeping gesture is not required or necessary to prove Michael's love for me, because he already proved it when he married me 25 years ago. You see, what I'm getting at is this. We go through tough times. We've all been there. We get frustrated with God. We may cry out to him, you know, show me your love. I can't feel it. And we wish that he could make a grand sweeping gesture to show us that he's still there, to show us that he still cares, something tangible, like changing our circumstances or taking away the pain. But in these moments, may we remember the truth that God already showed us his love, his faithful, steadfast, unconditional, sacrificial love when he gave us his son. And may the joy of that glorious fact sustain us 
giving us the hope or the courage we need to endure, even if it's just for a little longer. Romans 5.8 tells us that, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Some translations say God demonstrated his love for us. God proved his love for us. There's nothing else that God could do to prove his love for us more. Nothing. He gave it to us all, all up front. And maybe some of us need a fresh revelation of God's greatness and love today, goodness and love today. May I assure you that he sees you and that he does love you and he already proved it to you. And if you were the only one on earth, he would still give his son just for you. And for those of us who have heard the gospel hundreds of times, may we never be desensitized to it. May we never take it too casually because our holy, righteous, powerful God gave up his precious, perfect, sinless son to step out of the majesty of the heavens to suffer unspeakable things on a cross so that we may have a relationship with him forever. You see, the cross is the ultimate expression of God's greatness and goodness. We'll put that up. The cross is the ultimate expression of God's greatness and goodness. It is God's love that led Jesus to hang on that cross and God's power that resurrected Jesus from the grave. We didn't deserve it. There's nothing we can do to earn it, but we can receive it. We can receive it. And God invites us to live at this intersection every day, this intersection of his greatness and goodness where we can find not only the promise of eternal life, which is amazing, and it should be sufficient for us, but a daily confidence we can still find, a daily solace no matter what we are going through. In the time I have left, uh, I want to just make a few suggestions on how we can respond to the truth that our God is both great and good. First, we can rest despite the turmoil. We can rest despite the turmoil. Is your life in turmoil today? Maybe it's your health or finances or your relationships, your kids, or maybe you're just tired of hearing the news. There's a lot going on in our world, in our country, the political climate, the hurricanes. Know that a great and good God is still in control. God is bigger than any problem, any situation. Trust him. Trust him. Or maybe you're just running yourself ragged, too, too busy, too distracted, too many responsibilities. Reorient yourself to the Lord. He wants to share his greatness and goodness with you. Take a deep breath. Let's do it together all now. <sighs> yeah, feels good. Rest. Rest and know that he is God. We can also respond with worship. Worship him because of who he is regardless of circumstances. This is what David is talking about at the beginning of the psalm. I will praise you forever and ever, he says. I will praise you every day. It doesn't matter if it's a good day or a bad day. The thing is, God, he doesn't need our worship and praise. You know, he's God no matter what we do, whatever, no matter what we say. But he delights in worship because it puts us in the proper position the right posture to engage with him, to talk to him, to obey him, to receive from him, whether it's his comfort, his wisdom, his strength, whatever it is that we need. Spend time with him. 
be in awe of him. And as you get to know him more, the worship will come more easily, even on the bad days. Finally, tell your story. Tell your story. One of my sons asked my husband, why did God make mom blind? It's a good question. Without skipping a beat, Michael replied, so she could tell people about God. Then my son asked him, why did God make you bald? <laughs> he didn't have an answer for that one. <laughs> Still trying to figure that one out, I think. But then it hit me. We can all ask ourselves the same question. Go ahead. Ask yourself, why did God allow fill in the blank in my life? And each of us will fill in the blank with different wounds and trials and hardships. But the answer to each of these questions is the same. So you can tell people about God. You don't have to be me, just me, or Pastor Terry. We all tell people about God. Like a witness in the courtroom, I love that analogy. You don't have to argue or defend or judge. Simply tell your story. Simply tell your story. Tell your, tell your story of what God has done in your life. Tell it to your children, to your neighbors, to your coworker, to your Uber driver. Tell your story. Now let's finish reading our psalm. Uh, I thought, I bet you guys thought I forgot about it, right? Um, we're going to start in verse 10. And let's read this together, okay? All right, here we go. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Tell your story so that all people may know the greatness and goodness of God. And as I close, I want to just mention the psalm card in your seat slot. Uh, and I think there's some on the wall uh, back there by the door, by the psalm wall. If you feel like it, you don't have to. But if you feel like it, just jot down a few lines of praise or a little prayer. You know, maybe something about God's greatness and goodness that struck you today. Maybe something that you heard him say to you. And you can hang it on the wall there on your way out. But it's yet another, it's another way that we can respond to his greatness and goodness. In a moment, the band's going to come up and we're going to have a time of giving and a final song, but let me close in prayer for us this morning. <sighs> Deep breath. Dear Father God, you are truly great and good and worthy of our trust and praise. Forgive us, Lord, if we've been too casual about our faith because we want to love you the way you love us, so faithfully and so passionately, Lord. Thank you for proving your love for us through your son on that cross. May we never take it too lightly. And help us to live at the intersection of your greatness and goodness forever. In your son's precious name we pray, amen.